Well, listeners, you're back with Ag Watchers, and uh, we've got a guest we've had on before, and actually also someone. Well, the, the most te- the most often spoken about guest on the podcast. Without well, we sometimes refer to him as Chris. We sometimes refer to when we're referring to a tangent, the Hoiberg tangent is the, the actual uh, inspiration for the Hoiberg tangent. We've got Ryan Hoiberg on to talk again. We've had you on before, Ryan, to talk about labour market stuff, and we figured um, Andrew and I were rabbiting on just a, at a recent podcast about wage uh, wages and wage markets and labour markets and minimum wages, and we thought we should get you back on to have a chat, A, about what's going on, particularly in the agricultural kind of labour space, but also just more about um, the labour market. So welcome back, Ryan. Chris to my friends, but yeah, uh, <laughs> thank you guys for having me back. More than uh, more than happy to come on and actually give direct feedback rather than messaging you both after episodes where you've uh, either sledged me or got my name wrong. So. <laughs> Well, there's only been one of us that's got your name wrong and referred to you as Chris, but which is ironically the one that I've known the longer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so there and you that, go. that was only a slip of the tongue because we had been talking to somebody called Chris at the time, yeah. yes, and I was true. referring back. So I'm, I'm going to use that as an excuse, but that doesn't mean he can't be called that from now on. Oh I, no! I was going to say I'd suggest there's a lot more that have called me a lot worse after conversations I've had with them. So uh, it's just good to hear that you guys always <laughs> being recorded whilst talking about me after. <laughs> It's a, you probably don't know this, uh, Ryan, but um, I after that we started referring to the tangents we take as Hoiberg tangents. I tried to put on. Uh, I tried to put on Wikipedia. No, you sent I, me in, that. You sent me yeah, that thing. But the, 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 <laughs> yes, I put this. I put this kind of reference in the mathematical parts of tangents or whatever on Wikipedia. I tried to add a Hoiberg tangent to that. And it was up there for about a day, and then one of the moderators at Wikipedia took it off. And so, I, so for, for about a week, I kept putting it back on, and the moderator kept taking it back off. Which is and also funny end- contextually that some moderator probably had to actually try to do the processing of thinking around, is this a real thing or not? <laughs> Correct. And they deemed it it wasn't. And so yeah, yeah. I don't That's think that if you search, you search Wikipedia for Hoiberg Tangent, it actually is not there anymore, but... For, for a brief 24-hour uh, period, it was actually a real thing on Wikipedia. Right, guys. Let's get beyond Matt's immaturity and let's get into the sensible, the well, sensible core of the podcast. We haven't taken we – have, last time Ryan was on, we didn't have the sixth cent running, so um, we need to do that with him. Oh, we need to do that, yeah. Mm. So you right can on. kick it off. We're, Ryan's a regular listener, so we don't need to explain what it is. You can just fire away. He, yeah. probably, he probably knows all the ones we're going to ask anyway. <laughs> So, because <laughs> we're not that original. Yeah. Uh, black pudding. We'll go with the original, the easy one. Never had. Interested, but never had. Hoiberg tangents. Uh, more entertaining the further and darker they go. Tangents on my time back in Scotland. Uh Entertaining how they change every time you tell them because I think I've heard six or seven different versions. <laughs> Minimum wage legislation. Uh, being handled by people that aren't dealing with it in the coalface. Labour market. Um, unicorn at the moment. Very unique. I've lost track. of. Is that six? Is that it? Or have I got um, one more? You're the analyst. <laughs> I'll just I'll just finish with um with the rural labour force. Uh yeah, probably the most challenging it's been statistically ever. 
All right, that's it was some good stuff to start with there, Andrew. I reckon. Um, so we were we were chatting. Must have been the last podcast where it was just the two of us, Andrew. Just with the two of us. Two of us. We can make it. Podcast on the fly. Uh, so we- how actually catchy that is. I was on a train the other day listening to it, and it came on, and I was like, actually, I'll listen through the end of this rather than doing you the passport skip. You mean the actual real song? Or our, our I don't think reason. I can hear the. I don't think I could hear the real song now. We felt physically vomiting. <laughs> But the thing is, there are plenty of other songs that we can destroy we can, for people. We can ruin it, exactly. So, right. so if we can get a list of everyone of their favorite songs. And, and realistically, <laughs> just an album almost is an opportunity there, just as a charity charity gig. Well, yeah, Matt, is a charity case. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if it might just be Arnie Julie and Andrew's mum. And my sister that would uh, that would buy the album, I think. I'm not and, sure Clint, and Clint Jasper. And Clint, yeah, Clint Jasper would buy it, of course. I thought but you, he you was going to be that it was going to charity, Matt, you know, from uh, your banking background. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more than happy for it to go to charity. Right, guys. Yeah. Right, guys. I want to be the, uh, the, uh, the, the stork member of seriousness here. Can we get on to the, the, the serious topics of, of Labour Force? None of this about, nonsense. It's too much hilarity in this podcast. Yeah, too much familiarity. Uh, um, the... I was actually trying to move towards that. We was talking about the last podcast we were on. We were chatting about um, intervention, I guess, government intervention in markets. And well, Andrew stop was- going on tangents because Chris hates tangents. I know, I know. We've got to we've got to stick to the topic. Um, we talked about market intervention and how it fails sometimes when the government comes and intervenes in markets. And Andrew had some cracking examples of that. But I'd kind of mentioned to him about the minimum wage legislation is a is an intervention of sorts, right? But you, you were saying... Oh, yeah, it, sorry, you did. I forgot, I yeah. forgot you mentioned that, yeah. I yeah, wasn't really so, paying attention. No, no, you're quite surprised that that was actually a market intervention. Um, I but, wasn't surprised. I just hadn't thought of it. Yeah. So, Ryan... Because I'm not even making a minimum wage at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on an hourly basis. Yeah, at least we're supplementing that with our income from egg watches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, we, we, you mentioned at the start there with the sixth sense that you said that the minimum wage legislation was, what was the phrase you used, something around it's, it's designed by people that don't really understand the market or, or yeah, how it I, impacts? I think the impact's always very um, broader strokes sort of terminology with minimum wage because it's very hard to, especially in the agri-industry, to specify what is actually a minimum wage that's suitable for, you know, if you're looking up north, if it's a you know farming perspective, what's the right one around how they've always done it versus the right way to go forward. And it's a, I think it's a, it's a classic one of a broad strokes policy that um, it has got right intentions, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, again, I always think minimum wage or a salary conversation is always so individualistically dependent on what somebody needs or wants from a role versus, Government in- intervention sometimes isn't the be- the the right outcome. Mm. So, but then you, you're basically saying that it is a necessity to have a form of minimum wage. You can't just have a, oh. a race a race to the bottom, particularly exactly for unskilled right. workforce, right? Oh, well, I mean, a- sure. Andrew's point in the podcast last time around was that presently it wouldn't matter if there's a minimum wage or not because the labour market's so tight. And we'll probably we'll probably go to that in a bit about how tight it is. Well, maybe, for- well, maybe at the moment you can actually sort of say, well, get rid of the minimum wage. Because nobody's on the minimum wage. Yeah, but you can't you can't just chop chop and change legislation like that and say, oh, we can ignore it now because it's not relevant. Yeah. And then in three years' time, when it becomes relevant again, once we once the US go into a recession and you know China can't get past their COVID thing and the you know the economy falls into a stagflated mess. Once once um, once Russia nukes Europe. 
don't have access <laughs> but, to any backpackers anymore. Yeah. Well, one, one other aspect. I know recently, Ryan, we had, so we've got within the horticultural sector, the mm. move away from, oh, well, they, they can still pay a piecemeal rate to a degree, but they've got a guarantee now a minimum. Uh, is, how's that been kind of received within the industry uh, well, that you can see? I think there's sort of two folds of where, look, from a grower perspective, I think it's, again, it's probably a little bit of a um, conversation that's necessary to have, but the timing is, you know, unfortunate because of the lack of um, candidates and talent sort of being in there. Probably from a, a secondary perspective, which is probably more related to the conversations we have as a labour hire or as a recruitment business, we actually historically haven't done much in the labour hire space, but that's where there's been a lot of this issue of, uh, labour hires taking advantage of either situations or workforces that come into the country. And um, that's where a lot of the actual legislation issue probably, in my opinion, should be actually a lot more critical or um, research into labour hire companies that actually are um, taking advantage of those people and, and the scenarios mm. of what they're doing as well is actually probably to me um, where it should be actually focused on a legislation because that's probably actually sometimes been the core issue is actually how those labour firms have acted and a lot of them have got away with it. Yeah, you see that. I mean, it's a common one sometimes on a current affair and shows like that where they where they show how how workers have been and, and usually they're workers from overseas that have been just or very badly treated by some of these companies. It's, it's not the actual. It's farmer. not often. It's not often, It's never really the. It's not I say never, but it's generally not the farmer. It's generally the recruitment correct. company. That that's yeah correct. So it's a sort of um. It's a two, there's a lot of scenarios we can think of where there might be some coercion which happens with say a packing shed manager or a um, a field, a farm manager who might have a contact within a recruitment firm that that might have introduced them into multiple areas. That could be potentially the only area of concern for the grower uh, or the producer, but predominantly it's actually the back end of how a recruitment firm is running and paying those people and making their own cut um, in that labour firm, in that labour high space, which has been cracked down fairly heavily in the last sort of couple of years. Even I think back to sort of 2019 at a few of the horde, in, horde uh, conferences, there was... Uh, representatives from the government going around talking to people around labour sort of standards and everything. So the government's been pretty proactive around it, but a lot of people, that, that's, I think, the grey area still of how do you actually properly do it. The, the, the benefit of some of that is the corporate farming sort of trend that's happened in a, a number of those industries. Those corporate farming groups are a lot more aware of, A, if they're managing it in-house, what the actual legislative requirements are, but also B, if they are using a contractor or a recruiter, a lot more firm with us around um, or with the with the businesses around what their terms are and how it all works. What, but the interesting thing is like this isn't like this isn't like if you look at the UK, yeah. If you, yep. if you go back to back to Scotland and the UK, where we've got a a very strong fruit picking industry. Yep. You know when I say fruit potatoes. Uh, but but no, we, we we have a lot of obviously manual labour and a lot of horticultural stuff exactly the same way. But I think about five six years ago they actually switched, maybe even longer. They switched away from piecemeal to piecemeal, but had to meet the minimum requirement. Right, yeah, yep. So so they they managed to do it. Obviously, the only problem they've got is they managed to do it, but they don't have any labour because of Brexit and COVID and everything else. Everything else. So. Oh, I think like I mean, from an Australian for an Australian perspective, it's it's one of those ones where it's it's a conversation that should have been had a lot earlier. But it's also now, to your point, Andrew, it's a bit of a redundant sort of conversation in the current market because of um, that's actually not the issue anymore. Is is technically you know people will still pay what they want, but they'll actually be you know I think of some of the bigger horticultural groups that are now just basically flying out 
direct sourcing from some of the islands with their own planes and everything just to get workforces. So um, they're actually, you know, having to find innovative ways just to find people that can actually enter into those areas. And, and on top of that, have actually had to pay for quarantine purposes, have almost had to set up a bit of a village um, for quarantining around mm. COVID and everything else with all those costs on top of it. And the outcome is being so worthwhile, they're willing to commit to it. You mentioned before when we we're referring to some of those, I guess you call them labour hire companies, but then you also referred to them as a recruitment firm. But my my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that what you do is what I call a recruitment firm, which kind of, you know, whether you have an aspect of labour hire to that as well, I'm not sure. But um, there are some dedicated, I guess, what you'd call labour hire companies that are almost exclusively trying to source offshore workers and some of them are reputable, but you're saying some, as we've seen in the past, are a bit unscrupulous. Oh. Um, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily call that they're a different thing, right? They're not necessarily a recruitment firm in the sense of what you guys do, right? Correct, yeah. So, so recruitment in the sense of people sourcing would be the broader, um, you know, uh, language. Labour hire would be what they specifically sort of specialise in, which we, we've never really done for a number of reasons. So we, we would refer to ourselves as more of a, white collar agri specific recruiter um, but there would be a number there are or there are a number of agri specific labor firm businesses who then try to grow into permanent type roles so, so we only really handle permanent positions and, and some sort of broader project positions but there are businesses who specifically will specialize in and the benefit of that is now there has actually been a licensing system that's been brought in for a lot of the labor hire firms which has um, helped grow. Um, but what it what it eventually does is actually, um, you know, it poisons the water around what the recruitment firms do because you then, you, as you say, current affair covers it and everyone thinks that's what, I mean, if you went and talked to most of my friends who hang out with you regularly, they think that I'd be out there recruiting pig farmers 24-7. Reality is... Speaker of which, if you've got any, as, as <laughs> I was going to say, talking to my target audience, but the reality is we, we wouldn't do that type of role. We would do a <sighs> um, manager or a shed manager or something like that as a, at a minimum point, but a lot of companies would, that would be their top end type of role. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. we're just, we, 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 that's been, I mean, it was difficult enough getting getting kind of good workers or any workers for that matter um, before COVID, but it's been, uh, gosh, it's been really, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, really tricky well, I mean, at the moment. I think last time I came on, Andrew, you were sort of interested in, we we internally at Roomfire have a sort of a rural job index where we actually will track where all the jobs are and how advertising yeah. is going, which we can then match against the generic Seek um, platform. So Seek um in March had a month seek again have hit parameters that they've never seen before, which has probably happened six or seven times in the last two years, uh, last 18 months where there've been more ads every month than they've ever had before, uh, which has matched with the least amount of applicants um, that they've ever seen as well. And that's across all formats. So um, they, they release a monthly report sort of midway through each month. It, it's, it's, it's actually more reliant to tell you what the recruit or the labor market's doing versus the unemployment numbers because those unemployment numbers are often based on people in work versus who's actually looking for work um, and, and a number of other sort of areas. But so Seek, Seek's parameters are, are telling you off the charts. Our, ours are similar. So last year, I think when I came on, we'd hit record numbers. Um, again, we're, we probably were seeing um, for the start of this year, we've, we've again broken all the numbers of ads that have been advertised in either production or um, office-based corporate roles. And that's what you were saying when we referred to labour market. You said about it's the tightest it's been 
on record or you know the data showing so that's the data you're referring to Correct. i presume that's what it is how, how far back does that data go it gives an uh, idea for, for, for our one it's 22 years um yeah. it's physically counted day to day by a person who works with us and that's been counted it used to be only papers um then it was papers and online now it's only online um and we literally will count each advert each day to make sure that's sort of correct and so to give you an idea um that sounds like a fun job well, that actually was my first job at Rimfire when I was a uni student. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's what, I, that's what I was like, well, I need to get out of this place. Um, <laughs> but uh, so like to give you an idea, that was maybe circa 2019 mid-drought. You're probably looking at a best case scenario of around 200 to 300 ads a month. That would probably be top end. Last that's month, nationally. Had, nationally, yeah, correct. Um, last month, we had 835. So, 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 it, so, it's, so it's going to follow confidence in the industry as well to an extent. Purely based on that. So it actually gives you probably more of an understanding of, and, and even then, advertising also gives you an understanding of when people are hiring and, and who's doing what, but it also shows you turnover. So traditionally, January, January, you don't really see many adverts high, uh, sorry, posted because people are coming back into the office and either jobs are getting confirmed. This year, January had its highest number in on seek in 10 years because people just had to find people. So, so obviously, you guys like we know. Let's let's be honest. We all know that labour on farm is a massive issue, and it's almost it's going to take a long time for that to get back to normal. Uh, corporate side of stuff, yeah. Yep. It's interesting. Matt and I were talking about this last week. Yeah, uh, I think over a beer last Friday. The <clears throat> a lot of job advertisements, yeah, in 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 let's say agribusiness. They ask for quite specific sort of things. Mm-hmm. Like must have background in agriculture, must have ag degree, but the job itself isn't actually what I'd consider to be an agricultural job. So, 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 like, say for instance, you've got a supply chain guy. Yep. Mm. Like you don't. Like, if you, like, I'm going to use an example. You're you're in a grain trade. You are moving trucks from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And you're in an office in Melbourne and you're phoning somebody to say, move this truck from point A to point B. You don't actually need an ag background for that. Um, arguably, arguably, yes, that's correct. <laughs> Reality of it is it makes it 90% harder if you don't, um, especially in a, in, depending on the business size. So if you're talking about some of the larger multi, like the ABCDs of the world, yeah. you're probably, reality of it is yes, that probably could work. In the smaller groups, you'll have annoyed Switter about that comment. Oh well, you know, Swift, seven, Swift instilled seven ones now. He, or he, he doesn't really like ABCD. You've got to say yeah. ABCD plus because the plus, of the cough cause and etc. Yeah. So anyway, but 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 you're you're right, yeah. But let's be honest, I don't think agribusinesses can be picky anymore. Um, it will it will look it depends on the timing. At the moment, hundred percent correct. So for example, if you're looking at a grains position. No one in a grain trading business has let staff go or would have made changes in the last 18 months reality-wise, but everyone has grown. So you're seeing new roles come about. The reality of those roles are that they, they have to, they're not being, people aren't coming out of nowhere with that experience. So, so what, you, what actually probably happens if, for example, using that supply chain role is where we would push businesses to go is into a graduate route. Um, if you're pen, pending on the need, if it's sort of an export program manager or a container manager, you're not going to. So a container or an export role, you could probably do it. it the documentation is quite different on a practical end. 
Um, so, so there are elements of why you do need some grains experience. The, the key element, though, of why most grains businesses would be very specific around that is is internal cultural reasons. Um, they they it, want people to understand the, the cultural trade of what they're doing and, and that piece. But is that like what Andrew was, I guess, saying that you've got people with all the necessary kind of skill sets in terms of the, you know, the, the, the practicality. The actual doing the job. Yeah, but you're talking about some of the inherent knowledge you would get as, as part of that industry specifically, right? So the, um, the, the difference is, though, if you're getting somebody that knows how to actually physically do the, do, like, you know, click the box or make the calls, that's great. But if that's not actually going to work in the bigger team or an aligned person with the team, that could only work out for two to three months. How much, you know, the risk of somebody getting in versus the safe pair of hands is the conversation they would have. Mm. It, my, my perspective is you could do it from a broader range for sure. I think... I, I, um, I just think there's a much bigger space for people outside of agriculture to, to move across. But there's a reluctance to... to and, and, and to be honest, it it's not just a reluctance from the people to employ them. But I can see why somebody wouldn't want to. Because let's be honest, if you came from outside of ag into ag, you're less likely to progress. You're also, look, the, the struggle is there's a lot of different language. Um, there's a lot of different acronyms. If I'm looking at a grains perspective, it's a very hard um, industry to sort of walk in from something else without I, knowing from the start acronyms or sort of terminology where if you go into a grains house, that's all they're going to use. So you're, you're behind the eight ball from the get-go anyway. Um, and I think you're right. If you're a mature candidate, if you're a mature person coming in, people are probably less likely to um, maybe sit with you and explain it versus if you're a graduate or somebody at a junior level, you can probably find a mentor who would, you know, explain. You but, know, but I'm, like we're using grades, but it's the same across. Oh, for sure. Oh, same, you know, we'll livestock. Livestock is probably even harsher. Livestock, if you've not come from a production or a boning background or you've actually understood a farming element, I, I don't reckon you'd probably get a look in in, in most positions. The, the, the toughest role sometimes actually to recruit in those businesses are the back office. So, so what would I refer to as like an accountant or a marketer role because the accountant realistically could have has to have generic skills. They have to understand the broader tax and all the other things. But the reality of that person is they also then have to be talking, if they're chasing credit, they have to understand how to properly chase a credit from one of these businesses without ruining your customer relationship. Um, they have to be able to integrate and understand what the traders are actually talking about if they're processing invoices. Like, there's a lot of roles you would think are generic roles that could work in ag um, that actually become a lot more complicated in an operational sense. And you're saying that that's not the kind of thing you could potentially go in and, and, and learn as you go and kind of build your knowledge. You, you, know, could, obviously- you could for the right person. Um, but often the candidate pool, it's quite tough to find. At the moment, I mean, look at the moment, if you could find someone that was half decent, you'd probably give them a shot. The reality of the broader recruitment, mar- the broader market at the moment is there's not many opportunities. There's not many people looking. Because I know these two blokes, yeah? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. With, with no experience in agriculture whatsoever. Yep. Uh, one of them especially, very mature age, came into industry at a, an extremely advanced age. And, and he seems to be doing all right. Yes. Well, yeah. he also probably, you know, from the sounds of previous conversations between these two gentlemen, one of them claims that he's mentored him all the way through his life as well, but seems to be claiming to be <laughs> significantly younger, so which doesn't really add up. Um, but you obviously don't do economics. Chris. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a it's, it's how you play with the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, again, it's because because if, if I'm if I'm working fifty two hours a day, training him, it yeah. all starts to build up. 
but again, it's it's a bit of a um, I, I think the cultural alignment piece is the bit that you probably are parking there. The cultural alignments, the businesses, if somebody's culturally aligned, they'll probably give them a shot if they've come from the right, um, you know, they understand what the business is trying to achieve. If they don't get that, then they're probably, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's a no, it's a non-starter from the from the get-go. Which, to be honest, that's ninety percent of what we try to do from an interview or a conversation, or if we're talking to businesses, who is the right person that's going to fit this business? It could be doesn't matter. It could be someone that does a skill or it could be very specific. So but then when you're actually talking to someone, it's are they culturally aligned? Can they be taught? Can they be mentored around these areas? And, you know, then you can give them the shot. But there's other roles that that just won't work for. It, when, like, you, you, like, without blowing smoke up, you guys, you, you're one of the bigger recruiters in, in corporate ag, yeah? Uh, okay. yeah? And at least in the East Coast, I don't know about the West Coast. Uh, is this an ad for Rimfire? <laughs> <laughs> If you're seeking a job in agriculture, no, I'm just I'm just keeping right. I'm keeping Chris on side just in case I need to apply for a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so just so I reply to those messages you keep sending me. I'll take anything. I'll take anything. (laughs) Chicken boning room. I'll take it. Very negotiable. (laughs) How much do I have to pay to get out of here? Um, But but do you generally like if I'm um, if I'm going to buy a car? Yeah. Before I get to the showroom, I know what I'm going to buy. And if I'm going to look at a house, I probably know I'm going to buy it before I visit it generally. Do you generally, if, like say for instance, Jimmy, the stock feeder says to you, right, mate, I need, uh, um, I need a grain merchant yep. or, or something. Do you generally have a good idea in your head who that's going to be? Um, predominantly. Uh, you, you'd have an idea of who the right, again it's sort of so it's actually a lot of what we then have to do is say jimmy's business is go and look at jimmy's business and sit with him and go right well what's his style versus who would fit to work with jimmy um so how we not going back to rimfire structure but so if you're a normal recruiter or a generic recruiter which i worked at one of them you would eventually i'd come to you andrew and say hey what type of job do you want to get? and i'd say look let me find you a job I know these great guys I'm going to call. And I would basically cold call for people on your behalf to try to make a, a, a sale, essentially. Where we do, it is, we do it on the other side. So we're company focused. So we would work with the company and say, if you came to me and said, you're looking for a job, we're going, great. Look, if we get something, I'll give you a call, but I'm, I'll, I'll come back to you then. The company comes to us and says, this is what we want. Our role is to go to that company and work out who's going to work in that business. So to your question, the grain merchants, you know, we would probably know... A, Personally, me in Melbourne, the grain space is probably an area of focus for myself anyway. So I, I would know a number of people in that space already. Um, but, you know, somebody coming out of a big corporate might not fit well in Jimmy's environment because they need to be more aligned to having broader skills or even meat trading or any of those sort of... It's, it's very common. If, you, if you're generically only manage one book, you're probably not going to work well in a smaller business that has to go source from accumulation or you know the number so so it actually is very much relying on what the business actually needs but it, but it's yeah. but it's you matching the two people together correct and, and, so then, effect, I'm, and then so i'm calling matt and then going hey matt look i know nah, you're don't don't phone him yeah but i'm saying yeah. to matt hey this is i know you're looking for this type of person i know andrew he's done xyz we've had a chat to him about your role this is why he could work so it's more actually saying to the, and then also in calling Andrew and going, hey, mate, look, this is the company we're working on behalf of. This is the type of structure they've had previously and where they're going in the future. Is that something you're interested in being a part of and, and matching the two? So you're basically the Cupid of agriculture. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I'd also describe a lot of. Uh, I could imagine you. I could imagine you. I could imagine you in a toil cloth with. Uh, yeah, a little, little, little bow. Little little right. I was going to say, again, if we could keep my personal life in those messages private, that'd be great. <laughs> so uh, in terms of, at the moment, yeah, supply and demand, yeah? yeah. It's a market. You know, labor's a market, just like grains, 100%. just like beef, 100%. just like blood meal and bone meal. Uh, so who is the, who's in the powerful position at the moment? The, 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 or, or is it relative, relatively, when the corporate side is it relatively even just now? Um, sorry, so all the, who's in power is candidate. Candidate is king um, at the moment because there's a number of across most corporate roles. You'd be surprised how many businesses are operating at maybe eighty to eighty-five percent of their intended headcount. Um, there's a number of opportunities that are around, um, and, and I'd be saying for and and what's happened in the last sort of year has been there's a prevalence of counter offers. Um, and, and counter offers is probably a recruiter's worst nightmare because it's, you know, you get to the very end of the stage and then it all flips on its head. But that's how, and, and counter offers, I think, have always been looked down upon. We, we sort of, we even um, had some data that came out last year from companies we surveyed and um, there was a significant tick up of businesses that had decided to counter offer people um, as a more regular practice. But nobody stays after getting a counter offer, do they? <laughs> it's, it's actually become, it's, it's I my advice I mean, look, you know how to sort of talk to candidates if they go through that process, but your advice often would be, well, what, why are you leaving? If it was money, maybe that actually does solve it. But also if they could have paid you, why did they not pay you prior? Hmm. Um, and I think that's the other conversation at the moment where businesses have got um, around everyone doing quite well, especially say, um, you know, post drought and, and everyone's sort of looking to add on jobs. The challenge of recruiting at the moment is you might have to offer more than you're normally hiring in your team. But then is that person going to be, paid correctly to everybody else in your sales team or your um, your operation. So that actually then brings up your long-term costs. And if we go back into a drought, what happens then if you've committed to mm. a higher um, salary? Um, so, so a lot of companies are looking at it and almost having to think voluntarily put pay rises in to, to avoid people looking. A lot more probably strategic bonus structures. So that's mm. what we've seen a lot more is short-term incentive programs around bonus outcomes, which aren't then long-term commitments. Yep. The challenge then, if you're a candidate, is how long do you commit to having bonuses if you're then looking at mortgage or interest rate sort of pressures? What, what's, what's your balance? Do you want a good whack for the next month with a good 10 or 15K bonus or do you want a long-term um, 10K interest? Security. Yeah. Some, of the, um, some of the kind of surveying, I guess, around reasons why people leave an organisation, though, it often my understanding was it's often not about the money. It's about it's other, yeah, other correct, issues, right? Correct. So, um, so that's so, where the counter offer becomes redundant to a degree. Yeah, and that's—I think we might have discussed this at the last podcast. We, had we did, yeah. That we we kind of—I was of the opinion that you, you know, really probably shouldn't take the counter offer because it, you know, it never—it's never going to work out, you know, in the nature of what you think it's going to be. Um, and like you're saying, it doesn't always address the underlying factors. You've got, you've got, you've got to find the intrinsic values, not the extrinsic. That's from my human resource classes in university. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Matt, correct. And I think the driver of, you know, especially in the post-COVID world is flexibility. It's um, what people are actually wanting. You know, um, there was an interesting article yesterday in The Age around people moving regionally, but then still working in um, CBD-based offices. Um, what does that actually do for then the local work? So there's more people leaving regionally driving um, housing prices up but there's no one actually then working regionally that wants to work in traditional regional roles. So what does that change from a demographic perspective? If your company doesn't offer that, will your competitor offer you that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, 
that's that's the key, isn't it? Really, and I mean, I've just think back of all the times I've left a job. It was I don't think it was ever about the money, but then maybe that's because if you're fortunate enough to be in a job where you know you're getting paid okay or or you know above average, say, like if you're in a if you're a worker in a in, in a wage job, um, then maybe it is more about how much you're well, getting it's paid. More of an so incentive. You're, well, it's it's I mean to be honest, we we don't talk to too many people that are sort of you know obviously not currently in full time roles. So graduate conversations are always a pretty specific range of where you would give them guidance to expect, but that's negotiable. If you're coming out of a role, yeah, it's often the 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 only real sort of salary motivators would be people under 100k that are then looking to do it. Often you'd see if your people are over 100k, it's often then more strategic. What what do I want to do? What are you driving? If you're under 100, it's often then more. I feel underpaid. Am I getting a good bonus structure? What, what is the add-ons? What about if you're under 50k, like Andrew and myself? To, is that like that put in another category? Oh, I'm just imagining Andrew would be with those game gamer headset that he's got. Well, I was I was I was, t- I, was t- I, I was telling Matt about this before you came on. These are new. These are this is the first time I've used them. Yeah, because uh, my old one, the batteries are gone, and so I went on online and you can get these in black, but they're two hundred fifty dollars. Right. Or you get them blue for a hundred dollars. There's a reason. There's a reason. So, so a bit a bit of spray paint this weekend, and we'll be fine. Uh, yeah, fair. Yeah, but I mean, like again, that's the bit where this interest rate piece will be interesting around because the challenge is at the moment. If everyone's doing well and everyone hears everyone's doing well, then naturally you think, "Am I getting paid correctly at the moment?" But then the businesses are the businesses willing to commit to those long-term pieces with you know interest rates and all the other costs going up as well. So. What speaking of of being an expert in the in the, in the job space, what's the going rate for a junior analyst like Matt and myself? Uh, again, I'd be culturally looking for the right outcome rather than sort of giving you salary guidance. But I mean, again, I mean, like the an analyst is as good as an analyst's outcome is going to be, aren't they? Mm. Mm. So that's a that's a that, very diplomatic answer. That was yeah. Go on, keep on going. And I'd, I'd be interested in having a chat to both your references to see what they specifically uh, would sort of say that they think the worth is now after having worked with you. <laughs> I'd, get, I'd give you a good reference, Andrew. I'll give you a good reference as well, Matt. <laughs> so, so there you Again, go. Again, our job is probably to sort through going, How, so you guys do know each other well then, don't you? <laughs> Reasonably. No, in, 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 in genuine, what, what would be the going rate for like a junior? If we were looking for a junior analyst to come and work for us, yep. we, we've got a which, which we will be in, in, in the coming months probably. And maybe the next year. So, what would the going rate be that we'd have to pay them? Well, look, uh, twenty grand. Remember, yeah, <laughs> an analyst. An analyst conversation is interesting because again, you got to work out where they're coming from that you want. So, if you want yeah. a graduate, a good graduate sort of salary at the moment is anywhere between sort of fifty-five to sixty-two. Some would be under fifty for sort of production roles. The banks pay more for graduates. So, if you're getting an analyst coming out of a graduate, uh, sorry, an analyst coming out of a bank. You'd be surprised how their salary expectations. Nah, absolutely not. We'd be wanting something way before they've gone to a bank. I remember before, before, they, before they've been before they picked up any bad habits. Oh, it's, yeah. take, it's taken six years to drill all the bad habits out of this muppet. <laughs> oh, we, I remember. I remember the salary because that was the first job I ended up doing in the bank, and it was and back in the olden days, uh, Ryan. It was how a, many shillings was it? <laughs> a well a well-paying job back then i was very impressed and it was i think it was twenty six thousand dollars back in 1991 i don't know that well i should do the do the maths and see yeah, how that equates to in, in in deflated uh, current day dollars yeah I'll look, but, it, but what we're looking for is probably somebody i think first and foremost no bias yes probably not ag background is, maybe, is maybe, this, maybe. Is, 
Is this a job? We, is this a we, job scope? Do you want me to take notes? Yeah, and and sense of humour. Uh, but I mean, again, it's one of those ones of. So how, how do you find a current, cult, how do you fi- how do you find a cultural fit for us two yeah, to come yeah. and work with us? You'd you'd be putting something in the advert around really having to be very open <laughs> open to your colleague environment colleagues. No, I mean, I mean, look, the current recruitment market. Honestly, the advice we're giving most companies is find who's going to be interested in the role and then work out if that's going to work for you. Because the reality of the, the current space is you could be looking for the next 18 months and not find someone who's going to pit 10 parameters. But if they hit six um, and those six are workable, then it's worth exploring. Hence, mm. if you're a candidate looking at the moment, you've got a lot of power around, you could actually step forward. Like for, We're doing a role at the moment that probably traditionally they would look for someone to have three to five years experience. We've found a graduate who's got done three two month internship and that's actually, they're, they're pumped. So it's one of those ones of that's the type of reality of the market. And also the other bit I'll be saying to you is making sure you're scoping the job out correctly of who you need. So, you know, I think I often think back and whenever we talk at universities, there's an example of um, I remember a, a horticultural grower. We went down to Tassie to talk to who needed an IT analyst. Um, and he was explaining to me how the IT role had to be, but they had to have an agronomy degree. And I was sitting there thinking that's inc- that's going to be incredible. Went on farm, had a look around his property. And then we went through the role Turned out what the IT element was is just no one else knew how to use an iPad. So the the agronomist had to know how to use an iPad to help with their sort of growing method, which is just a graduate recruit, a graduate agronomist coming out of UTAS. So again, it's about understanding what you're actually looking for and properly understanding is the skill set that we're going to need actually hard or what's the easiest bit to find. The, the harder bit is to find the analyst. The easier bit is to find an agronomist out of a university in Tassie and just making it simple. What about, what about immigration? Emigration, emigration is way down, yeah. Yes. Yep. But wouldn't that be one of like the corporate agriculture space would be the best fit if if they want to increase supply would be to open the uh, the net so to speak, you know, find some find some Scottish folk or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if you look at so immigration, I think there was something the other day I saw people coming out of England are being paid. A, it's, they're almost paying for your flight to come out at the moment to if you're going to commit to working here for six months. So the immigration, Pete, um, 100% would work if it works for the role. It, it also, it, it's sort of role dependent on what's the actual background of the person coming in that's going to be need. I would have thought from a production or an on-farm perspective, um, yeah, very much. If you're getting somebody coming out of, you know, I think we see a lot of applicants coming out of South Africa um, or the subcontinent. Um, most of them are quite transferable. It's just really around, do you have that sort of three-month ability to induct them properly and get them on boarded um, versus do you not have that time and is it going to be worth the exercise? So Rimfire haven't kind of considered a bit of a global trip for you, Chris, to um, to scour the uh, the globe looking for talent? There was a job we once did for a cotton grower out of Uzbekistan, and I was desperate to try to get on that. Uh, we ended up doing that via video call, but uh, unfortunately, that well, I mean, look, I, I think it's always, the, the good thing about Australia's sort of production, and especially at the moment with everything in Europe, is we're always going to be an attractive end goal. So those candidates will always come to you. It's just about the business being open. But yes, mm. I am open to a world trip. If you guys want to do like a podcast tour, and I can be the additional sort of insight. Well, uh, we, we, we always we always said we'd never take sponsors because we, we want to keep it raw, raw and real. But but happy to take a sponsor to do a uh, a, a world trip. Chris, Andrew, and Matt. We'll go to where would we go? Mexico. Cancun, Chile, Cancun, um, yeah. Amsterdam. We call it, we call it the, the Hoiberg, the Hoiberg travel diaries, or something. And and really, yeah. then it's just around doing adverts. But we do adverts on the fly and see if anyone will pay for them. Yeah, 
There we go. We just need to get Rimfire will pay for that. Oh, I'm surely, I'm surely, surely. I'm sure we could have a chat. All, all I was going to ask it. All those bloody uh, percentage commissions you're getting with all these high, higher wages. Jeez, oh. you'll be you'll be doing better than real estate agents or cattle agents. Uh, well, a real estate agents is a bit of a slap in the face, but you know, thank you for the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you quickly. Like when we spoke about, obviously, the labour market uh, is undoubtedly very tight, and yeah, it's likely to be for a while. But and I was just thinking back to where you're saying about you know, I guess what what the employer side has to do to kind of attract attract people. But I'm also thinking about for those that are in that are in work that they're happy with. Mm. You know, like I think historically with me, when I've been in jobs that I'm happy with, like you kind of don't search, you know, when when you become unhappy, you start looking. But from a from a professional perspective in the market, do you would you advise any person out there, whether you're happy in your job or not, and, and now that now's an environment where there's lots of opportunities for people to switch, right? But should you be in the habit as a worker to always be looking for work, even if you're happy with what you're doing, or is it really only when you're not? So happy? should you should you always have your cash and net? So yeah. Should you, pick, should pick, you pick, always yeah. pick up the call and save my number? Really good question, Matt. Um, if I call you, um, no. Look, my my advice on that is is you not necessarily always have to be job searching, but you should always be looking to develop where your next. Um, space could be so it might not even necessarily be a role it could be an internal hot but like look, my, my advice to any like for example graduates they should be creating networking opportunities from the get-go and and realistically if you create a good network yourself that's your next job opportunity um, or that's who should be coming to you next without having to use a recruiter or even having to job search somebody should be you know speaking to you about it so it's really more attending industry conferences or, or leveraging industry networks to sort of grow where that comes from and then um, you will hear about next opportunities or you'll be open to next opportunities because you've grown yourself. So, you know, that might not necessarily internally be thinking about job seeking, but you're actually then growing your soft skills, which is then sort of attractive to the next employer, which you, people might not even think of that they're doing. But um, you do notice that if somebody's done it. The other piece too is, especially in the current recruitment market, most people aren't replying. There's no advert. No one's coming through a lot of advertising. So it's who you know or who do you know or who, who knows someone. Um, and again, it's developing your own network around that. Uh, so you're saying that you, you might put an advert out there just because you have to, but you, you're saying that the, most of the times you're finding the candidates or the possible candidates because of your own networks you guys have got rather than anyone applying. Oh, I'd say that's true. But also the advert pieces element is an important element to market the role properly. Um, so, you know, we talk about ag sort of being very in, internal or sort of in-house, but there's a lot of language that a grain trader might use that a meat trader might not know or a sugar trader might not know. So you've got to make it as broad as possible because ultimately somebody from a trading background could work in X, Y, Z. But if you use industry language in your advert, then you're going to push everyone away. So the, the advertising piece definitely at the moment is important to market what the opportunities are. But again, if you're an, if you're a, an employer advertising a role, you've got to make it more attractive versus four or five years ago, you would have been very specific around who you want to apply because there's a lot of people looking and then that way it helps you cull. At the moment, you've got to make it very attractive around why you should join this business compared to all the other opportunities. Have you seen in the last couple of, let's say, let's say two years when things have been really hot, yeah? Have you seen people changing jobs multiple times? For sure. Like, um, like, like what's the most you've seen somebody jump ship? Uh, four, I would have thought. Four, four jobs. In a two big, years. A, a, a in big two one. years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's probably that's probably no, he's not even here to see up yet. I'd be saying four times and somebody that's still hireable. 
there'd be people that would have a chance oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven times. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's probably four or five. But, I mean, what we saw a big big trend in 2020, especially in Victoria, was as the season looked strong, suddenly input or a lot of businesses that probably didn't have a workforce locally started just throwing money. So people that hadn't looked for jobs for probably three or four years jumped in at some point in 2020, which also could have been related to COVID or travel, or if they're a territory rep manager, they might've had to go over borders that made their job quite tough. And then sort of they realized that that business actually wasn't worthwhile. So then they had to reassess who do they want to join. So it'd be quite common for people to probably change two or three times. Has, um, has that you spe- just mentioning about the, the dynamic of how COVID has changed things there and now with, with all this kind of discussion around people not, you know, Andrew and I are in the city not that long ago in Melbourne and it's still, I wouldn't say it's up to what it was before in terms of numbers and people around there and it seems like there's a lot of people that are still happy to be out in the regions. Um, is that, has that kind of changed the, the dynamic of what people are looking for in terms of, you know, kind of roles that are very flexible mm-hmm. to, to allow them to kind of maybe work in the main city, but they want to spend three or four days or whatever still, you know, from home or from some other flexible arrangement? Is that? Yeah, I'd say there's a significant trend to most roles now will have a flexible element of one to two or three days working from home. Um, of There's not as large an increase of people working purely from home that I thought there would be. Um, there's still a very large trend from every employer of having at least one to two contact days in an office environment. Um, so I don't think many, I thought, I think most people thought there might be some elements where they could work from home remote or remotely a lot more commonly. It's probably again, role dependent. What, what it, it's, it's actually quite tough to change a role and then demand to be sort of working re- remotely because how does that company have the confidence you can do it? Established workforces, definitely, there's still a lot of flexibility. The, the challenge for a lot of companies, if you're, say, if you're a production business or a manufacturing business, if you offer full flexibility for an office-based or the workforce, but you've got a number of sites that don't offer any flexibility, you're essentially um, us versus them, your ent- entire workforce, to make the some people's jobs a lot easier versus other people not that opportunity. So you've got to be we've, careful um, around that. We've, that. De- we've, we've definitely, we're not going to ever, I don't think, go back to a rigid five-day work week in an, in an office environment now. You know, there, there's, we, look, there's, that, the challenge for that is some regional businesses might not have actually changed too much. So some regional businesses might not have, or even WA-based businesses might not have even worked from home. So if they're actually trying to attract staff now, staff are coming back into those environments that are used to a flexible arrangement. Some of these companies might not even have had to have done it. So mm. there is definitely a bit of a um, regional versus city sort of difference around that. Speaking of flexible arrangements, I think I saw, might have been a week or so ago, there was some Kiwi company or Kiwi that are now allowing, they've gone, the whole the whole business has gone to a four-day work week. Yep. Have you yep. seen, did you see that one? Uh, yeah, so, that's not too uncommon. I've seen a few, a lot of American companies have done that. So you work more hours in the days you're there than you get either a, a Monday or a Friday as an extra weekend that's that's what we're thinking of adopting we're thinking of adopting changed hours a a two-day work week no we're actually thinking i was actually thinking of moving to like a six-day work day instead of a seven i was gonna say well i just got (laughs) you but but, but maybe six and a half i don't want to i don't want to sort of uh before i before i jumped on this call i just got your newsletter came out and i had a quick read and i just figured you were working one day a week at the moment with some of Um, no, no, it's, but I mean, it's, so, it's so, quality, not quantity. Well, I mean, again, though, that argument is fair. Like the quality conversation around who's doing their role correctly at the, that in that period, that's really the outcome that I think COVID has taught a lot of people. The other bit that's interesting, um, KPMG did this. They they made a policy of working from home flexible, and there's a number of that have now made it permanent. 
but KPMG did it I reckon around 2017 or 18. But then what people realized is that then gives them the right to come into your office, your home and make sure it's work safe suitable. Yeah, yeah, they got, they've got, got, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a big legal issue that then arises. If you're allowing me to work from home, do I have the right wires set up? Do I have any sort of and, and because then it's a, it's my chair, it's my oh, chair, just, ergonom- just, my chair just, ergonomically. Uh, oh, but, and yeah. and so they actually cancelled that policy in 2019, and then COVID hit. So so it's one of, and again, hot desking was a trend that everyone thought was a bit of. A, I remember I worked in a job in the city seven years ago for a bigger recruitment firm, and the hot desking was the trend that everyone was sort of thinking, "How cool is this?" Like that's a COVID nightmare now. So hmm. you know, everyone everyone's the COVID post COVID world around uh, policies and, and and a lot of HR teams are still trying to work out how does that actually properly work across every role as well. So mm. the trail the trailing Ethernet cable that I've got going across the floor, as you can see in the background, yes. is probably not health and safety. Uh, but even, need, to even put, then, like, need to put some tape over that. It's a it's a classic one as well. Of this is suddenly your work presentation as well. So, for example, if you're working as you know, if I'm presenting, um, you know, even if you're talking to a uni, like you're suddenly not in an office where people can be impressed by you. Everyone's looking at what's behind you in a Zoom call and all these other things. So if you're doing a job interview or presenting to a RDC or something around something on that, and and all you've got is you know something trailing behind you, mm. that suddenly your image is well, not normally. Word. I would normally I would use a background. I wouldn't normally have a child's chalkboard <laughs> and. <laughs> But I mean, like a pair of ice hockey sticks. Is that a bong on your book cuff there, Andrew? <laughs> Where? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just it's like six or seven kegs that have. <laughs> That's actually, actually, that is, oh, if you can't see it, it is a shoe rack <laughs> full and it is full of hats from field days. <laughs> I've got I've got hats there sitting because if, if I'm going outside the garden I'll just grab a hat. Sun yeah. sun safe, and I've got a lot of companies that no longer exist there. I've got a lot. What for fortune in the future? Is there um, a rimfire hat in the mix there? Uh... There's no rimfire. There's a rimfire beanie we made once. That's the most horrible sort of looks like a condom on your head that you're with a red red it's a red logo that's very questionable. But there's uh... really, really handy in Queensland and the Northern Territory and. <laughs> But uh, it's all, I mean, that's about, I, I commented to someone, Andrew, around all the conferences I was missing out. I was like, that's actually where I actually stocked up on my hats for the next year. As well. well, I've, got, I've, got, I've got no stubby holders and I keep running out of yes. pens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pens is a good one, actually. Pens that usually break after the second line. But anyway, okay. um, I think we're running out of time because you've got an interview at one o'clock. Mm. They haven't jumped on yet. So I've probably got one or two last ones if you wanted to cover anything. Oh, look, I was nearly, I was going to do the wind up shortly, Andrew, but I think uh, we've been very, you've been good with your time again. And it was at very short notice as well. Uh, <laughs> like you jumping on LinkedIn going, here's a Zoom call. Here's a Zoom link <laughs> if you want to talk. <laughs> but this, but this is the thing though, yeah. Like going back to, because uh, we're, we're actually thinking of maybe just leaving the analyst thing and just becoming, you know, professional broadcasters. Because uh, obviously, You've seen the high level of professionalism that we we take with this podcast. Well, and now that you're invested in your fancy blue headgear, blue headgear, yeah, and that you're forgetting to pack away your, yeah. your you activities like, at night behind look, you, look, <laughs> a bit like a bit like puff of smurf or something. That it's very blue. It's very blue. I put I put a blue. I put a picture up. Uh, on, it's cheap. On... Like I'm not going to pay a hundred dollars or more for something that is or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but. Anyway, and it works would really it be well. Described as, would it be described as eggshell blue? Is it also not tax? You haven't, you haven't it on your tax, isn't it a work tool? 
Yeah, well, we don't earn any money from the like, what's this you, haven't even, you haven't even you haven't even <laughs> you don't even tax you don't even tax leverage for it. <laughs> I haven't even commented on my nice tartan skins to keep me warm in these cold Victorian days. But but going back to the job thing, yeah, hmm. it's tough. It's difficult. Yes. When's it going to improve? Uh, look, our our internal predictions would suggest not for another year. Um, I, I don't see where it could improve from. Um, the, the reality of it is. Um, the workforce, the, the labor workforce, I think, is probably something that will evolve with uh, work uh, backpackers allowed back in and, and those sort of stuff. Yeah, for, that's, that's, for, that's for the production end Correct. of size. On the production, production side, I, I, I would be tougher to guess because that would be on the, on the white, uh, white collar sort of professional services side. It, it's, um, it, I don't see an end to it, to be honest. It, it's something where uh, over the next. Do you, th- months, do you think it'll be the next route? Reality, probably. Mm. Um, the reality, and look, that's often where you, so historically, if we're recruiting, you would spot the gaps of where people are coming from. So, you know, two or three years ago, it was anyone that was moving down south from the New South Wales, Queensland drought that might have been looking for a production manager or a farm manager role. They were often sought after for any Southern Victorian or Queen, uh, South Australian growers. At the moment, there's no gap like that that's existing. Everyone's sort of doing well. There's no one sort of that are being forced into redundancies um, and there's no other sort of broader um, problems that are arising. So, so just to be honest, the, the, the way we might see some people come out of is um, uh, if, if everything continues to centralise through sort of corporate agriculture, uh, that might be where that might generate some um, redundancies through that sort of streamlining. Um, so rural distribution is probably the only space that we've seen job numbers go down on recently, but that's purely based around the centralisation around a lot of those firms. So if they're looking for people, they're looking internally. Um, but a lot of other people are making jobs, which is a great sign of the economy strength, but it's also quite hard to get people as well. And it's also exceptionally hard to provide a professional answer when you're flicking around with your background of your Zoom answer just to try to distract me as well. <laughs> I thought it was a very good update. I thought it was I thought it was a very good, succinct way to end it. And, and I was trying not to laugh halfway through a serious answer as you're, you're sitting there proudly smirking at your own joke. <laughs> It was very, it was very uh, professionally done. And look, it was it's appreciated that you came on. Like I said, at such short notice. Um, I think uh, here he goes again with his backgrounds. Doc, I, I was going to refer to you as Doctor Hoiberg um, for a second there. Look again, um, you, you refer, you can refer to me whatever you want. I, I just like that. Hopefully, people are searching Chris Hoiberg and whoever yeah. that poor bastard is. No, that's <laughs> getting it. a lot that's of well, I, I noticed a few times there. I referred back because. When, when we talk about you uh, privately, which we do almost daily, uh, we, ref- we refer to you as Chris all the time. Well, we, so, we, keep, we keep on referring to him. We keep saying, has he got your job yet? Has he yeah, got yeah. your job yet? Yeah. Well, it's, and, more um, me, it's more me than listening on public transport. You know, wherever I'm going in between meetings, listening to the podcast, then I start swearing or talking back to you. <laughs> I'm the crazy one of mine as well. It's there. So, so we refer to you as Chris. And then and then I had to stop myself a few times there at the start. You saw a pause when I said your name, Brian, because I was... <laughs> Because I was going to say Chris, uh, and then I reverted back. But I will, I will leave it at that and say again, um, having Dr. Ryan, also known as Chris Hoiberg, father of the Hoiberg tangent, um, on, the, this, cu- on the, the the Cupid of agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of terms we can uh, use to refer to you now. It's great having you on and and being able to pick your brains about the labour market and specifically the ag labour market. So thanks for for coming on, um, and I'll see you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now.